Superman and Aquaman. Welcome to FW Team Up, a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm Siskoid. And I'm Bass. Taking you through a classic superhero team up, Superman and Aquaman from DC Comics Presents number five, cover dated January of 1979. And Bass, I, I think it's obvious this book has been covered before on the Fire and Water Podcast Network, or pre-network actually, uh, because it was 10 years ago. So that's just... really Yeah, Robin Shag's show way back. If you're looking for a second opinion, then... Or a first opinion, to be fair. Uh, <laughs> I, I should have listened to that show before doing this one. No. Well, I, I stopped myself from doing it. I didn't want to like just repeat talking points. So I'll be listening to it afterwards. Actually, you know what? I'll do exactly the same thing. Well, re-listen, because I think I probably listened back in the day. But that's episode 73, if people at home want to look for it on the feed. All right. So, okay. We've talked about Aquaman before mm -hmm. on other shows, Invasion especially. Well, we preface with a reason or reasons why we like the guest character. What's so great about Aquaman? I don't know why he was always like a favorite of mine when I was younger. I thought he was just cool. I, I think it's because I always liked the kind of kitschy stuff, but he's still tough and strong. You know, he's a... He's a king, but he's not that powerful a superhero. You know, he's, I don't know. There's just, I, I have a lot of cool Aquaman moments in my head, but I don't know a lot of Aquaman stories. So I've been uh, reading up a bit. Okay. Well, I mean, this show's proven by now that I personally have a lot of affection for not just Aquaman, just the bottom tier of A-list heroes. Yeah. You know, everybody likes Batman and Spider-Man, but I think it takes a real fan to like Aquaman and Daredevil, you know. They're A-list enough that they'll always have titles, you know. There'll be hiatuses, breaks, but usually you can count on a new series coming out for these kinds of characters, you know, unlike a B-lister like Booster Gold or Blue Beetle, yeah. you know, or the, I mean, Ted Cord, they could have series and then not, and when they're, in, they might be in a team and then not. But at the same time, they're lower tier enough that not everyone is into them. And there's something about, you know, like your character and you're the one who really stands for them, right? Yeah. So mostly, I think I like his world. I think uh, it's completely different from Fictional City USA and uh, it lends itself to interesting art interesting storytelling you could tell the same kinds of stories with many characters but aquaman you always maybe that's why he's not always done well it's like it's it's kind of difficult to get into it because he's not like other heroes and there's no comic with a better chance to see a squid or an octopus in action i mean all, <laughs> those are the visuals that are fun and we get some yeah. of this in here and then the issue that we're going to cover yeah absolutely and i mean who hasn't dreamt of Atlantis, you know, and and it's mythical, it's wonderful, it's magical, and, and it's underwater, so that's cool. Well, let's talk a little bit about Aquaman's publication history. Obviously, if you want the complete <laughs> story, Fire and Water podcast uh, itself will have that for you. But uh, let me start things off. Aquaman was created by writer Mort Weisinger, who would later be a famous or possibly infamous Superman editor and artist, Paul Norris. And he first appeared in More Fun Comics number 73. That's back in 1941. Wow. His strip continued until issue 107, after which all the superhero features gave way to humor strips. Uh, that was 1946. And unlike most of the superheroes that fell out of fashion... 
Aquaman moved over to Adventure Comics with issue 103 and continued his run for the next 15 years, actually. So uh, wow. he's one of the few superheroes that was published consistently through the 1950s. Uh, in 1961, Aquaman starred in a four-issue run of Showcase, issues 30 to 33. That's the first time he appeared on a cover. At the same time, the Aquaman backup feature ended in Adventure Comics with issue 284. He was moved to Detective Comics with issue 293 of that book. Seven months later, cover dated February 1962, Aquaman gets his first solo title, moving his backup over to World's Finest from issues uh, 125 to 139. So he's got a solo and a backup at the same time. The solo series lasts 56 issues on through 1971. And during this period, uh, he also has his own cartoon show produced by Filmation, uh, the Superman Aquaman Hour of Adventure. Uh, that's from 1967 to 1968. We're talking 36 episodes total. And this version of Aquaman would go on to star in Super Friends in the 1970s. Uh, but back to comics, uh, we get a three-year hiatus. Aquaman returns as a backup feature in Adventure Comics for a few issues before becoming the main feature for about a year before transitioning back to his own title in 1977, which becomes a victim of the DC implosion, I guess, in 1978. So it's back to Adventure Comics for him, then World's Finest, then Adventure again, then to Action Comics. I, it must have been hard for Aquaman fans to keep up. Yeah, my lord. Through that dec yeah, through that decade. After the crisis, Aquaman gets a soft reboot miniseries. That's the one with the Craig Hamilton design camouflage suit that no one else can draw. That was in 1986, and the follow-up isn't until 1988 as just a special, then another special, The Legend of Aquaman, the next year, which prepared us for a five-issue miniseries with old-fashioned Kurt Swan art that would spin out into a new ongoing in the early 90s, uh, which is my cue to hand it off to you. The cue handed off is just a little bit mm, too soon. Uh, in 1991, <laughs> we get to have a golden green Aquaman once again in a 13-issue series from Sean McLaughlin with Arthur caught in a web of political and personal turmoil being the protector of Poseidonists and being the superhero everybody loves wasn't easy at that time. The Titronis had, and we're going to talk about these guys later on, had their own Aquaman, Ikila, who Iquila, I don't know how to say that word. And uh, he was like a mermaid Namor. I just loved him. Then trying to keep pace with the surface world, Titronis fighting Black Manta butt naked. Aquaman Times and Tide, a four-part miniseries by Peter David. We get the retelling of Arthur Curry's origin story. That's the uh, feral sea child who becomes king origin story that'll be retconned later on then the big one what i hoped for when you said hand over <laughs> because in 1994 aquaman has well pretty much some of the most badass moments ever he grows severe first of all uh, has weird dreams starts getting involved with the very nice lady called dolphin and gets his hand eaten off by piranhas in a fight with uh, a virtual nobody really called Charid Charibist? I don't even know how to Charibidus say that. Charibidus would be Charibidus? how you... Charibidus? That word can't be pronounced in my French-speaking mouth. It's Greek. <laughs> it's Greek? Yeah, it's far. And then he's donning a brand new harpoon hand. Ackman loses the orange shirt, partially in a fight against Lobo. So all these moments are incredible moments. And then he dons that 
sort of gladiator suit. This will be the longest series for Aquaman. Uh, 75 books, five annuals, one special. Peter David staying on for the first 46 issues. Maybe the start of high fantasy meets underwater sci-fi action. That'll kind of stay for the rest of the uh, of the runs. With no series of his own, Aquaman is often... In GLA books, uh, he has this big thing where Poseidonus disappears in the uh, Obsidian Age. That's GLA issues 68 to 75. Then in 2003, uh, Aquaman is branded a traitor and is sentenced to die after breaking free of his barnacle restraints. Yes, I said that, barnacle restraints. Uh, He discovered uh, the Waters of Truth, where he's given the gift of the water bearer, And that's a water hand. The series goes on for 39 issues with Arthur Curry at the helm. The Sword of Atlantis, 17 issues uh, from 40 to 56, uh, will then be part of the one year later and focuses on Arthur Joseph Curry, a younger Aquaman. I'm not sure if it's his son or... I think it was supposed to be his son, yeah. Didn't really get it. After raising Sub Diego... Uh, from the depths, Orin becomes the dweller and eventually dies at the hand of a evil narwhal. Well, that's the name of the guy, narwhal. But no worries, he will become a Black Lantern zombie and eventually be brought back to life by the White Lantern in Blackest Night, Brightest Day events. Uh, zombie Aquaman is not cool. Aquaman! Is there in uh, post-Flashpoint, uh, Jeff Johns gives us a new Aquaman, no water hand, no hook hand. Uh, what he does have, though, is a badass attitude and self-assurance. This is where the origin stories is retconned again. As the son of Tom Curry and Atlanta, 52 issues, two annuals, and one special wrapped up in eight collections, including Aquaman, The Trench, Then there's Aquaman and the Others, where the Golden Trident is part of a set of golden things. This becomes a spin-off series, Aquaman and the Others. Aquaman, Throne of Atlantis, another great book, which is also a fun animated movie, and many more. Aquaman, just like the Phoenix, was reborn. This series started off with uh, Dan Abnett in the Rebirth event. This went on for 66 issues, two annuals, four specials. Some new characters are created and uh, become favorites of mine. Jackson Hyde, who will become the second Aqualad and now an Aquaman. And uh, we get to see some more Aqua people like Lagoon Boy and Tula, the Aqua Girl. There are no more Aquaman series since uh, 2022, but the Aquaman series that I'm reading right now is uh, still out there and available. And of course, his profile has been raised in animation and live action over the past couple of decades. Uh, I think the Brave and the Bold cartoon version has proven... Enduringly popular. And oh, just yeah. Jason Momoa uh, put his stamp on him in the movies, sort of the pirate Aquaman of the 90s. There's a movie coming up, right? There's one last yeah. hurrah for the the DCAU Aquaman. And uh, and then that's going to be that. And I think they are planning to reboot him and you know recreate him for the next phase of DC movies. I think the uh, Jason Momoa attitude... I, I just love it, and I think it goes great with the Aquaman persona. The, the, like the version that he's doing is like Surfer Dude, Aquaman. It's a fun take. It's not exactly the 90s one. It's the 90s one mixed with that Brave and the Bold 
a personality. It's less gritty, but more bravado, and I really enjoy it. All right, let's open up this book here and uh, give you a short synopsis of DC Comics Presents number five. The story's called The War of the Undersea Cities, written by uh, Len Wein and Paul Levitz, with art by Murphy Anderson. So a fisherman is surprised to reel in an unconscious Lori Lamaris. And when he hears her speak Superman's name, he takes her to Star Labs. There she tells her former flame Superman uh, that Aquaman and the forces of Poseidonis have attacked her city of Tritonis, which doesn't make sense. He swims down with her to get some answers. The war-ready Tritonis fires on them by mistake. But it's Superman, so they're fine. Superman next swims to Poseidonis to confront Aquaman, and they almost come to blows when Arthur's finny friends make a play against the Man of Steel. But Aquaman disperses the animals and tells Superman that, no, it's Tritonis who attacked his city. And since Superman believes both Arthur and Lori, there must be a third party at fault. Our heroes head out to Titronis, and they are attacked by the Triton soldiers at the gate. In a surprising tactical move, Superman just surrenders and Aquaman follows suit. We discover that Ocean Master, Orm has offered protection to the Tritons. They accepted Ocean Master as a savior dictator. Our law-abiding heroes leave Titronis with the sound of Ocean Master's thunderous laughter. Aquaman sends some kind of mind control at play, but he knows that Ocean Master has no such power. The Hydronic Duo infiltrate... <laughs> I just try to make, be clever here. The Hydronic Duo infiltrate Titronis's throne room in the middle of the night to find out two things. That they have no ninja skills whatsoever. And also they found Ocean Master using a magic alien otherworldly jellyfish type creature to beat Superman. I don't know. That creature renders Superman useless because it's using his strength against him. And Aquaman does what Aquaman does, lecture and give a good old-fashioned fisticuff sessions to his brother. Superman feeling the life being sucked out of him and realizing that the creature uses his anger and aggression against him decides to try one last thing to get out of the giant creature's grasp. He stops feeding the aggression and goes peaceful and limp. The tactic works and the creature lets go. Aquaman gives one last punch and floors Ocean Master. Lori and the rest of Titranus go back to normal with an emotional goodbye, and Superman has a nice soiree where he gets an award. There you go, and um, you really have problems with the Greek, right? Because I do, I do. <laughs> I do. I don't. I, I love Greek food. I love Greek people. I can't do the Greek words. It's like Charybdis. So 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 people know it's well. Maybe <laughs> English speakers put the accent somewhere else, but it's Tritonis, not Titronis. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Triton is. Yeah, I'll, I'll give you a bunch of Titronises. At the end, you can just edit that in. Yeah, no, I won't do that. So um, maybe it's Tritonis. Tritonis. I'm trying to be like a, an American would say Tritonis. Tritonis. I don't. You know. <laughs> I just can't say it, but, you know, I can say Triton. Either way, we're going to go into the book. Obviously, we always start with that cover. This time it's by Ross Andrew and Dick Giordano. It's an action piece, you know, where actually in this one, our heroes are getting beat up. Superman is getting beat up by this 
weird jellyfish thing. And uh, Ocean Master is actually uh, getting the better of uh, Aquaman on the cover. The composition is actually, I think, pretty good. The, the colors are great. Superman pops out with the blue and red on a, a turquoise background. Everybody kind of pops. I'm really not mad at it. I think it's kind of cool. The interiors are by Murphy Anderson. This, I think this is our first issue that isn't drawn by JLGL, right? I think I'm right about oh. that. You know, praise be his name. So what did you think of like, maybe it's a little more old fashioned in a way. What did you think of this art generally? It, it's not that. The past art was just a little bit superior, I'd say, but it's very much old fashioned. It's going into detail with the close ups, which isn't bad, but sometimes we get these weird poses sometimes it kind of feels like the superheroes superman without the cape for one kind of feels like an a weird action figure i don't know i mean the art is okay and the you know shot choices are are okay but we used to have the best <laughs> sure although i would argue that murphy anderson is one of the best is just like from an older tradition oh yeah 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 and i mean usually Murphy Anderson is maybe best known as Kurt Swan's inker. And they have a very similar look to, to their art. Although I think that I, I think I prefer Murphy Anderson. It's like the, the eyes are bigger. They're a little more, I don't know. There's something more engaging about them. Like he's, he's got like a, a feathered line is what I would call it. Like he's yeah, less yeah. like a clean line. It's a, like a feathered line and uh, I do enjoy it. So um I'm going to say, yes, this is good. Although I agree that some of the anatomy and the way people turn, like even that splash page when we open up, Superman's legs look really short. Yeah. Compared yeah. To, like he's well, got a long torso. Don't get me wrong. Murphy Anderson is a great artist, but I think I just prefer. That's probably what I meant to say. I prefer. It's okay if you throw shade at the things you don't like. <laughs> You don't have to apologize to Murphy Anderson. I just, I just keep that for Hawkman. Well, don't worry. I mean, if this were a Kurt Swan issue instead, I would be much more down on it. It's like, I feel like he's a little stiff, especially in this era. So Murphy Anderson being like an older artist, there is something. But you look at that, not the splash, but the, although we do get some squid work there, but the, the first page of chapter one, just the fisherman, right? A variety of angles. The face is very expressive. The older artists are very good at this, like just creating, uh, you know, illustrating the real world. And we get some of that, except yeah. <laughs> what is this fly fishing on a beach? Now, you come from the shoreline. Yeah. You grew yeah. up on the shoreline. Can you fish where the waves hit the beach? Um, that doesn't no. look deep enough. <laughs> no, you can't. I mean, you'd have to wear like these, the giant boots yeah. and go out in the water a little bit. I mean, maybe if this is high tide, but there's so much sand that I'm thinking it's maybe low tide. So he'd probably have to go out a little bit. And, and I don't know what kind of fish. I don't Striped know. Striped bass, which is, I've checked, indigenous to the North Atlantic coast. So, okay. Okay, yeah. But he okay, should be yeah, more on okay. the, like a cliff or like on rocks where it's deeper than yeah, yeah. the beach. And I don't know when this is in terms of Metropolis is right there. It's a sandy beach, deserted. Winter? It looks like autumn, maybe. It's fall, yeah. maybe, because he has this full jacket, you know, full suit, the hat. So maybe it's 
still kind of warm, but, you know, I'm thinking maybe fall. I'm thinking late September. That's what I'm thinking. So George here, and we'll have cause to talk about him later as well. He doesn't get a bass. He gets a mermaid, Lori Lamaris. Whoa. (laughs) So at, at first he's thinking maybe I can make money off of her. I can maybe like sell her to a circus or run my own freak show. But as soon as she says, Superman, must find Superman. Okay, no, I don't want to get into trouble with the Man of Steel. That convinces him to do the right things. I'm not sure George is necessarily the nicest guy. I don't think so. I don't think so. I think George probably is trying to catch his dinner and he's trying to make money. So I think that Lori was very, very lucky that the hook only grabbed her blouse because <laughs> that could have been like an eye or a nostril right or you know a piece of flesh or something right a part of the tail but, or something yeah yeah she got lucky i f- also find the dialogue suspect or the monologue suspect at the end of page three where he says all right come on fish lady uh you and me are parting ways the fastest way i know how He takes her in his arms and he starts to walk slowly towards the city, which looks super far away. So that's the fastest way you know how. All right. And we'll find out he brings her to Star Labs. All right. I guess Star Labs, open door policy. Everybody knows Star Labs does this kind of stuff. And so Superman is called. She's in a tank. Star Labs has those tanks. Of course they do, just in case. Of course. And, I mean, we've seen a lot of Jeanette Clyburn in DC yeah. Comics Presents. So, uh, you know, Star Labs is often figuring in these stories, it seems. So he says, oh, a D- a Dr. Clyburn, what, what is it? Oh, Laurie. And Superman's reaction. Okay, again, I will question the dialogue. What made you come here without your husband? You've never made the trip lightly before. We'll see Ronald later. He's in Tritonis. But... You know, it's 1979, Superman. I think Laurie can travel without her husband. Get with the times, man of tomorrow. (laughs) We're going to find out that Laurie hasn't really been in contact with Superman since his youth. Like, you know, this was an old story. And I can't confirm it. it. I mean, I'd have to look through so many comics to actually check it. But from cursory research, you know, how long has it been since they've seen each other? Uh, And when I look at lists of appearances... It is hard to tell because there's a lot of flashbacks that count, reprints. Yeah. But I think it's like 1964 since okay. they first saw each other. So, so it's like 15 years. I mean, less in, in comic book time, obviously, but for us, it's that much. Um, so maybe she's right to complain that he hasn't kept in touch and he's like a bit awkward and cold with her. Yeah. Because, yeah. you know, well, this is an old girlfriend and she wound up marrying another guy and we haven't spoken in years. Interesting dynamic between them. And in her story, the two cities are fighting. And I think this may be the first time that we have two Atlantises. Because, like, Superman had an Atlantis. Now, of course, Lori Lamaris came from there, and they were all mermaids. And then Aquaman had his own Atlantis, and there were no mermaids there. And it's like, how do you reconcile those two stories? And I think this is the first time that they do reconcile it, saying that they're on opposite ends of the original island. I think so. Also, I haven't done a real deep research, but I did try and find if the Mer people ever were in Atlantis or, you know, if Atlantis was always the same in the past few days. And I didn't find anything. So I, I do believe that this is the first time where we actually reconcile this. Yeah. And we, we create a bigger underwater world my clue to this is top of page five when she starts telling the story she says uh, my beloved tritonis 
which you have always called Atlantis. It's like she's saying, yeah. you know, you called it Atlantis, but it's got a name. And, and this is the actual yeah. name. And the other Atlantis, which we'll call Poseidonis, is Aquaman's city. And so you get the two. So some people grew tails and some people didn't. And if anyone else knows the actual first appearance of this notion... You can always let us know in the comments at fireandwaterpodcast.com, right? Yeah, we're actually curious. I mean, if you do know. Yeah, because I look through like some, like some Superman encyclopedias and uh, all sorts, and I just couldn't find information. A lot of this stuff has been published before 1979, so it didn't help me at all. <laughs> so, yeah, you know. Uh, and maybe we'll just, uh, when we listen to that Fire and Water podcast with Robin Shag, they'll say it. And we'll go, ah. <laughs> We'll find out. So she tells a story where apparently Aquaman and his uh, his gang, his, his army, are at fault for the attack on Tritonus. Superman can't believe it. They jump into the water. They swim down there. And, uh, well, Tritonus is, is really aggressive and attacks them, shooting missiles at them and or shells. Superman, you know, stops yeah. him with his chest and, and protects Lori through this. And it isn't until he destroys one of their cannons that they are oh sorry <laughs> that'll do that you know shooting at somebody and all of a sudden he puts his arm inside the cannon and the cannon blows up you'll be like oh you know what <laughs> i don't think we were trying to hit you you don't want to mess around with him and he's been down there before because of laurie but i guess not recently so like some people in tritonus might never have seen superman at all right exactly exactly so he's thinking, and then here we do have what Atlantis looked like back in the day, and when it was submerged, the two cities on each side, uh, and we're seeing, you know, like images of a fishtail family and a non-fishtail family who sort of dressed like Aquaman a little bit. Yeah, yeah. So Superman says, well, I got to go get Aquaman and figure this thing out. Uh, except he's waylaid by a giant squid. Release the kraken. <laughs> uh, also, <laughs> eels. A giant snapping turtle, sharks, all the animals are coming after him. Uh, so it, it seems like this is a, a bit Marvel in the way that they're almost saying Aquaman and Superman are going to fight. Oh, yeah. I thought it was going to be a fight because, you know, at this point in time, Aquaman was, you know, kind of like the blonde Superman. And so I thought, I think we're going to have a Superman-Aquaman fight. But, you know, Superman is so powerful. He just does this drain effect. And, you know, he doesn't hurt the animals, but they are certainly out of commission for a while. Then they get to talking. And Aquaman is not responsible for this fish attack because uh, he sends them a signal to leave right after that. Um, and he denies being the one who sent them after him. We have to remember that the, as we'll find out, the Tritonians have been put under, under a spell by the, yeah. the giant jellyfish. So the giant jellyfish has a mind control power, which is, it's not addressed here, but surely it is responsible for the animal attacks as well. I think so too. And this thing, I don't know, I don't even know if it mentions where it's from. I, I, Ocean Master says it's his creation, but... It's like a genetically created creature. But that creature has some mind control and feeds off aggression and violence. And I think it's a great metaphor for a lot of aggression and hate and violence. I mean, this thing is big. You can't really fight it. I mean, Superman tries to fight it with strength and he finds out that 
you can't basically fight fire with fire. It right? feeds itself. It makes you angry, and that anger is what fuels it. Yeah, yeah. It becomes a loop, and uh, basically, Superman just becomes peaceful and does nothing. And all of a sudden, that that creature just lets him go, which is a great strategy. But I think I don't think we miss it. But it kind of feels like you know the only way to fight hate is love. But in this case, Superman just goes limp. Uh, sending it some caring, you know, could have been, I don't know, maybe the creature would have turned on Ocean Master or something like that. You know, it's still, it worked. Yeah, they're not cruel to the creature. We'll, we'll get there. For now, Aquaman and Superman talk things out. It's like, he says, no, you know, they attacked us and Volko, you know, we see King Volko uh, under some debris and everything. Aquaman goes back there, they attack him. It's like, well, you know, we're at war suddenly. But he doesn't take any responsibility for that. And indeed, if Ocean Master is in Tritonis, then probably he controlled them. They think they've been attacked. They re retaliate. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's all on them, really, that they're the ones who are under the spell. He wouldn't be so stupid as to go against Aquaman first, because that hasn't turned out well in the past. By Chapter 3, they return to Tritonis. At that point, Ocean Master is already taken over. This goes really quick. <laughs> His politics are going oh, yeah. really fast. And there's a, uh, you know, a fight with the Tritonian soldiers, guards, I guess, because they're not armed at first. And here's the thing that happens that is a part of what you were saying. A moment that sort of instructs how they're going to defeat the, the monster later. Because Superman says, you know, the answer is obvious. Let's make this nice and simple and surrender. I mean, th these guys are totally outmatched. Uh, these superheroes yeah. can like are not hurt and can easily defeat them all. And then Aquaman says, well, if there's an armed party that comes in, you know, it's going to be a different story. And Superman says, just surrender. Why are we even fighting these guys? And that's really the foreshadowing of how they're going to handle the final threat. Um, because then they find out that Ocean Master is in charge, not good. And everybody's going, no, we're super grateful to this supervillain for establishing order uh, we're quite happy, and the heroes can't really do anything. Like, you you can tell Aquaman wants to do something. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he's the law down there. But Superman's like, no, mad or not, he's the law. So, we, we you know, we got to find a different way to, to address this. And it's only when they later attack from below, you know, like dig a hole. and Like, you know, they figure this isn't normal. There's mind control. Yeah. We're going to find a way to, uh, you know, find out what's going on. And then do something about it. It's a very old school way of bringing mind control in there without any foreshadowing of, well, there's just a little bit of foreshadowing, but are the fish? Mm -hmm. The fish were foreshadowing. Yeah, I guess. But they don't address it. So you don't really think about it. And then when you think, well, yeah, Lori's yeah. like really into this. We're a gentle people. So we're grateful for Ocean Master to be helping us. And it's like, that is strange. Right? I think they come to the right conclusion that, you know, there must be something strange in there. Let's have another look at that room, you know? The room has like this giant globe of the Earth. In a way, that's their territory, right? It's like the entire ocean, and then there's yeah. like these patches that we don't go to. <laughs> yeah. I, I did kind of like the fact that Aquaman has, I mean, he's been zapped, but there's this thing where he, he grabs his head later on. In the later years and closer to, you know, the year 2000 and stuff like that, where um, Aquaman's powers kind of got, we learned that he could do a lot of different things with that sort of telepathic thing. Yeah, I think the first time I ever saw the telepathy played as telepathy 
Justice League of America uh, annual number two. I mean, the one where he dissolves the Justice League and forms Justice League Detroit. Uh, there's a moment yeah. where he's going, woo, 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 and he senses a presence and it's Vixen. So she's not a fish person. Uh, maybe, I mean, she's incarnating animals and stuff, but he can sense her. And I was like, oh, it's not just talking to fish. There is a telepathy yeah. that just works better with fish. But, you know, possibly has other uh, uses. And we're definitely seeing it here because he senses the creature. And he senses the suggestions, the mind control thing. You know, he knows it's the globe. It's coming from the globe. It's not coming from Ocean Master. And so Ocean Master says, all right, you, you know, you kind of you got me. So he cracks open the globe so that the creature can come out, grab Superman in its uh, tentacles and uh, and the fight is on. So what do you think of this? Uh, the look of this creature? It looks like a jellyfish or kind of looks like a large phallus in some aspects. Mm. <laughs> Maybe because Ocean Master's a dick. Maybe. <laughs> but it's got, it's got a crest that is like, you know, that's like a, like a rooster's. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a weird creature. It doesn't look uh, harmful except for the fact that it, it just englobed. It really looks like it's going to envelop Superman and, and just dissolve it. It doesn't do much. It doesn't seem to be lunging or, or very fast. It's just kind of there and, you know, kind of like the old school zombies that they're all slow and they just kind of just surround you and, and then you're overpowered. This is how it must feels. be faster than we think because Superman's super fast. So... You know, it, I mean, he grabbed him fast, but then it doesn't have to do anything. And he just feels pain. It's kind of a jellyfish thing, right? It's the same solution. He's a real peacemaker. That's the, you know, it gets stronger the more power I throw at it. That's it. That's the answer. It's using my own aggression and pain. So he comes to that conclusion himself. Well, Aquaman does say things, but it doesn't come from Aquaman. It comes from him, even though Aquaman had sensed something from the creature. So Superman goes limp. The creature lets him go. That confounds Ocean Master, which gives Aquaman the chance to punch him in the face. Oh, my Lord. Does Aquaman ever punch him in the face? They're done. You know, like they've beaten the villain and they say that they're, they bring the creature to the lower depths in the trench somewhere to live. So they don't destroy this creature. There's only one little thing about talking about trenches and stuff like that. Mariana's trench is in the Pacific. Um, is it? Yes, it is. And Atlantis is in the Atlantic. There's a trench uh, Puerto, near Puerto Rico, I think, uh, on the Atlantic side. But Mariana's Trench is in the Pacific. Yeah. <laughs> so that's a, that's a big swim. That's a big swim. <laughs> that's, a, that's a big swim. But yeah, there's the Puerto Rico Trench, which is uh, quite deep also. I mean, that would work. And that's probably the one that the writers meant. But they, they, could, they didn't <laughs> check their encyclopedia to make sure. But how many trenches do we know? One, Mariana's Trench. Yeah, there are, obviously there are others. <laughs> there are, there are. And, and they're a naturally occurring thing with, you know, the tectonic plates moving and stuff like that. I mean, that, that's yeah. just... The Mariana Trench is the deepest. Then it's the Tonga Trench, the Philippine Trench. Okay, most of these are in the Pacific. The Atlantic Ocean's deepest is the Puerto Rico Trench. So you're right on that. The mm -hmm. South Sandwich Trench is next. Very close. Um, so I don't know which yeah. one. And then more Pacific than Indian Ocean ones. Finally, like this top 25 or whatever it is, has a Cayman Trench and, you know, at the bottom there. It's probably the Puerto Rico Trench. Unless, I mean, it's Superman. Grab the thing. 
fly it to the Pacific, drop it in the trench, come back. Well, actually, you'll have to go to Star Labs, grab one of these uh, aquariums. I think he's fast (laughs) enough to do it without any aquarium. Or maybe, you know, fly through, fly, quote unquote, fly through the the water. Or maybe just big transparent plastic bag, like it was like a huge goldfish (laughs) and just, you know, bring it quickly. Final page. So we get the epilogue. Aquaman says, I'm got to go. You know, he's got his thumb out. I'm out of here. There's a final goodbye between Superman and Laurie Lamarce. We'll talk about goodbyes later, obviously. But I do want to mention panel three. Ronald's eyebrow action during this moment <laughs> when Superman says goodbye to Laurie. Because she says, I'm afraid uh, I too must go, Laurie. She says, I understand, Superman. And you know how I'll feel until I see you again. Ronald, yeah, yeah. background, <laughs> no face, just the eyes and the top of the head. I was like, what is this? I'm going to quote Doctor Who in here and these are attack eyebrows attack eyebrows you know next panel look how close he's holding her very possessively because panel two they're not touching panel one they're not touching panel two they're not touching goodbye aquaman no touching this happens no touching next panel like the arm is all the way to the you know around the waist oh yeah oh yeah (laughs) oh yeah ronald's uh you know marking territory even in the old stories gotta say he was the guy that did not live in the surface world. I guess he's the prince of Tritonus or whatever. He's the backup. He's the runner-up. He's the guy that, you know, he gets the girl, but that's because I live underwater. So he's yeah, not going to... Yeah. He's pretty cool for a Triton. Yeah. If it's not Superman, well, I guess there's this guy. It always felt kind of like that. And he was like super friendly to Superman because it was the 60s and that's how comics characters were written. But really, it's like, oh, man, this guy must have been filled with jealousy. Yeah, yeah. There's a supervillain in there somewhere. (laughs) Never happened, (laughs) as far as I know. So it says, next issue. This is a rare instance of DCCP continuing directly from one issue to the next because it says, you said it, you know, I'm going to to receive an award at the Metropolis Press Club. It's going to be a relaxing evening. I need it. But that ceremony will be anything but restful. Be with us next issue as Superman battles a sensational star sapphire and witnesses the fantastic fall of Green Lantern. So in other words, if they make good on this promise, I don't think we've had one team up leading immediately into another. Uh, I don't no. believe so. No, they were all uh, basically self-contained little yeah, stories. Yeah, like the first issue, the first story was a two-parter. So, okay, yes. But every time we left a hero, we did not immediately jump into another. Um, that's the Marvel method. That's how Marvel team up and Marvel 2 and 1 often progress. But in this case, in Superman, I mean, you know, Superman's going to leave here. He's going to go to Superman. He's going to go to Action Comics. He's going to go to Justice League. He's got full a lot of adventures that have to be going on. And this series, DC Comics Presents, is not a, a serial. But this is one instance where it is. Interesting. And uh, the cover promised us a movie, a Superman movie contest, because we're around yeah. the time of the movie. Let's play, Bass. <laughs> we'll see if you get the answer, all right? Ooh, it's okay. the second great Superman movie contest. Question six. Collect them all, I guess. Years ago, Superman and Luthor were best friends. Luthor turned to evil because... A, he needed money to pay for his mother's operation. B, Superboy ruined an experiment which would have made Luthor famous. C... Superboy caused his hair to fall out, or D, he was tricked into crime by gangsters. I think, and I'm not sure, but I think it's C. It is C. It's the most vain answer possible. 
right? As Superboy, something happens, the lab blows up, and um, he loses all his hair at age 14, 15 or something. All right, who fared better? Uh, let's look at our usual topics. How well does this fit their stories or atmospheres? Is this a Superman story, Bass? Or is it more of an Aquaman story? Because, yes, there's Atlantis, but there's also Superman's Atlantis. So whose story is it? Well, I mean, as much as I would like it to be a Superman story, the reconciliation of the two Atlantises, it's really to make Laurie's Atlantis part of the actual underwater world that developed with Aquaman. So basically... Even though he's not in the first act, I really do think this is an Aquaman story. Hmm. The, the reason I would agree with you is that the villain is Ocean Master, mm-hmm. right? The reason I would disagree with you is that it is a way to take the Superman world and connect it to the Aquaman world. It is Superman seeing Laurie for the first time in ages. It's mostly about Tritonus, not about Poseidonus. Eesh. It really a toss-up for me. In the debate, I will say it's a Superman story. The way I see it, this seems like, you know, like a side quest, like an NPC quest. You know, there's this thing going on with Aquaman. Laurie just went out to get Superman from something that was already happening. Superman is just a guest star in this bigger story. We just didn't hear about it. Like a more powerful guy who comes up and helps, but... Essentially, this is a Atlantis story, and yeah, it's about Tritonus. Tritonus. It's about Tritonus, but Tritonus inside this bigger Atlantis. Well, maybe it is a Superman, you know, bit piece, but it's a larger Aquaman Atlantis. I feel more like Aquaman is visiting Superman's Atlantis. Okay. Ocean Master kind of troubles me in terms of... Okay, well, if it's Ocean Master, then I guess it's an Aquaman story. So we could go either way, and we did. Uh, cool moves. Cool moves. What is Superman's coolest move here? Uh, you know what? I really enjoyed him just standing there and letting the Triton soldiers just hit him. Good couple panels, three panels of that. <laughs> There's a lot, you know, it's, it's him being battered by a bunch of mermen. Well, I, I'll go with a moment from earlier where he stuffs his arm in the cannon and blows up. Oh, yeah. That's pretty badass. What about Aquaman's? You know what? The whole thing where Superman gets, he has all these soldiers on him, they're beating him up. Aquaman's very busy in the background and we don't really look at him much, but you know, he's fighting. But at one point he grabs like two heads and he bashes them together. So he's bashing heads for real. And I thought that was just so cool because he's smiling while he does it. So (laughs) it's my runner up. It's my runner up. But also, there may be only like two in all. So <laughs> the other one <laughs> is Pay 22, the final punch. You know, it's like you've got Ocean Masters in a position to just shake Aquaman real hard. <laughs> it's like he's got his hands yeah. on his shoulders. But uh, he's uh, distracted. Aquaman says, uh, here, I'll fix. Oh, is that all that's bothering you, Orm? I've lost our link. Here, I'll fix that. Pow, you can join your little pet in unconsciousness. And he punches him and it's over, you know, right there. It's such a brave and the bold Aquaman thing to do. One of the things that we should be doing since we call this a debate is, well, okay, those are Superman's best hits and Aquaman's who did best between them, right? Who's got the coolest move between these two? Oh, 
Oh, that's a... I think it's Superman, personally. I, like I said, I think Aquaman yeah. doesn't do much. He fights these normal guys, even Ocean Master is just a normal guy. And of course, there's not the same power level, but are these threats, physically anyways, really up to par? No, not really. But Superman using his smarts to beat that creature, I think that's the best of the moves. Superman coolest. What about dumb or weird moves? I mean, Superman could win that one as well. Weirdest or dumbest move from Superman? Uh, you know how I... The thing with the cape. <laughs> Just stop doing things with the cape. Well, I mean, I can't go back in time and tell him that. But, you know, wrapping Lori in the cape so the shells don't hurt her? Does Superman even understand how textiles work? <laughs> I mean, it blows in the wind. It blows in the wind. If a, a shell hits it, maybe it's not going to break the cape, but it's going to break Lori. Yeah, unless it has some sort of anti... Somehow the energy doesn't trans... The kinetic energy <laughs> wouldn't transfer into whatever the cape contained. Like like a Captain America's shield type thing? Right. Yeah, I don't think that's the case, but okay. <laughs> they, well, they seem to say it's the case. I, I agree. I think you got the better one. I, uh, I put down the goofy fight with the fish because there is a shot of him being... I think it's just perspective that's doing that, but it looks like he's being bitten in the chest by a turtle. <laughs> and and the, the one before that, when the turtle is coming up on his ass... Uh, and there are eels around, and he's kicking the eels. He's not really kicking the eels. It's like, <laughs> I don't know. He's sort yeah. of like running in place, trying to shake the, make sure the eels don't come close or something. These are all very silly looking. It's a very goofy fight. I agree. <laughs> it's a very goofy fight. <laughs> what about Aquaman? Let's see if he's goofier. Every time Aquaman rides something, yeah, I always think it's goofy. Because Aquaman is quicker than all these things put together. At some point, Aquaman is riding a dolphin, a porpoise. I mean, it's pretty quick. But why would it be in the depths like that? I, I don't know. Right. I mean, yeah, you're right. These dolphins are not the best creatures to ride into a, an undersea battle because they need to come up for air. Exactly. <laughs> so I don't, I don't know what kind of fish that, I mean, but that, that's always goofy to me. It's basically like the Flash hopping on a motorcycle or something. Like, <laughs> why, why would you do that? Yeah, you make a very good point. I did not really have anything for this, except I sort of wrote down the cover because on the cover, he's in a, an, a headlock. Uh, yeah. Ocean Master's, you know, in behind him in a lock, which is not a correct lock. I mean, he's only got one arm in there, not the other one, which is, he's going to get punched. But also, he's not strong enough to be fighting Aquaman in this way. So I, I didn't believe that moment, but it's a cover. So it, it doesn't really happen. So I think, again, you win on the uh, Aquaman front. You had the correct answer. I wasn't looking to win. <laughs> no, but it, I mean, it's a debate. Let's put winners and losers. And in terms of winners and losers, I think it's fair to say that Superman has the goofier, sillier, dumber moments. Oh, by far. Superman, in the panel, Superman looks like these old panels of like Jughead dancing. It's it's very funny. Uh, all right. Aquaman and Superman, their friendly farewell. How does this one rate? I think Aquaman's a bit cursory in this. Uh, he goes home with a quick farewell and an almost... Almost a salute. And Superman and Laurie, you know, it leaves them to have their moment. Because, again, this is a Superman story first. Unfortunately, I agree. It's a Superman story. Aquaman just, you know, he does what he does. Took care of things. Leaves. 
says bye-bye. You know, he's he's courteous. Farewell, my friends. Uh, but uh, Superman has this weird goodbye, and it's it's cringy. The things that are said in front of the husband, the things that are – that even Superman looks at her like in a weird way, you know? So it's it's cringy. There's uh, there's certainly a way to read this as a, the old boyfriend, and there's a number of moments in the book that are just – your memory is special to me, but then he's looking away from her, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. Kind of yeah, romance, yeah, comic-y. Yeah. He's really not sincere in these words. I mean, he's just trying to get out and he's trying to go home because he's going to get an award. We shouldn't speak of the past is one of the lines yeah. in the book. <laughs> exactly. There's a weird place where he just says her name, <laughs> you know, page six or something. Our worlds are so different. There's no room for more than memories. No room for what? Like he shuts her up. Yeah. Laurie, you're right. We shouldn't talk of the past. It's, <laughs> it's the present that matters, although like the speech bubbles are coming from her. I think that's maybe a mistake. Or maybe it's not. It's just like a very awkward conversation. And that, it is, that it is. takes us to the end. Also very awkward. We'll take a break for a couple promos, and we'll be back with our special features. So which is the hottest Marvel character? Iron Man. Eight Man. I can't decide between Professor X and Magneto, so both. Loki. Is Wolverine Marvel? What about uh, White Tiger? What about uh, White Tiger? Uh, Doc Samson. Who is Star Fox. That's a video game. The girls go on a journey to determine every Marvel character's hotness in Ohatmu or Not, the official handbook of the Marvel Universe podcast you didn't know you wanted. Available on iTunes and at fireandwaterpodcast.com. Coming soon from Amalgam Comics, the Fist of Neptune is back for another round in Tales of the Aquanite, as the Sea God's Chosen One returns from self-imposed exile following the Fragments of Atlantis storyline. But how long can Arthur Specter keep his different personalities under control this time? Or has he really integrated the pirate, the mercenary, and the king into a single mind? That's what the Harrowing Ocean Master plans to find out. A new era begins this October, only from Amalgam Comics. We're back, and uh, here's our monthly feature, the bonus team-up, in which each of us proposes, in this case, a perfect Aquaman team-up. What do you got? Well, you know what? I'm a sucker for a musical, so I'm going to go with Aquaman and Ariel, the Little Mermaid. Oh. They go on a search for Jackson, Aqualad, Ariel's secret multiversal friend who is missing. The adventure has magic, talking crabs, songs, and also a team-up of Ocean Master and Ursula. And their incredible song, We Will Rule It All. It's an animated story to be a live-action movie and then a Broadway musical. <laughs> Prepare for success. Yeah, I went the opposite way in terms of uh, obscure versus mainstream. Aquaman and Awkward Man. <laughs> On the Earth of the Inferior Five, he's the son of a Superman analog and a Lori Lamaris analog, right? So it results in a super clumsy but super strong amphibian <laughs> hero. So this is a comedy team up called Underwater Crisis on Earth 12, in which Aquaman is a, a little exasperated at the uselessness of his co star. But they have to stop the plot before Earth-12 merges with Earth-1 and possibly retcons Superman out of existence. Oh, wow. Big stakes, but really a silly story. 
You know what? I'd read that, the whole series. Whatever happened to each segment of FW Team Up has its own flavor. In this case, DC Comics Presents does Whatever Happened To, just like the backup that will eventually crop up in these issues. So this time around, we ask, Whatever Happened To... George the Fisherman. Ah, well, I think George, unfortunately, after he brought Laurie to Star Labs, he was reported to the officials as being a dangerous man who talked crazy about mermaids. And, uh, well, he got arrested. He developed a hatred for Star Labs and uh, for underwater people as well, being so easily radicalized because of his very biased opinion of scientists and underwater people. He was recruited by Black Manta and works for him now as a henchman, seeking revenge on all mermaids. Wow, I went dark as well. I thought that was there in the character. He has crazy eyes. Well, he's certainly an opportunist, right? Yeah. It's like he was ready to make money off of Lori. So, I mean, that's human trafficking. It is. And he has a connection to Star Labs. Mm -hmm. I don't know. You can't just, oh, I'll go to Star Labs, drop off something. You know, who thinks of that? Yeah, exactly. Unless they have a pre-existing connection. So uh, it will be revealed that he's a retired scientist from Star who was just taking advantage of his golden years in this issue. But this incident inspires him to turn to crime as the new fisherman, <gasps> pulling stuff out of the sea with a big magnetron to get rich quick. It destroys parts of Atlantis. Aquaman shows up. He says, I know the fisherman and you, friend, are no fisherman. Doesn't take long to put an end to George's career. But I also had him turn him villain. Yeah, well, he has villain in him. That's for sure. Okay, now it's time for listener feedback from our previous episode together in which we covered DC Comics Presents number four, starring Superman and the Metal Men. Jeff R. says, in light of future stories, I expect at a conference in Europe is being used as a euphemism for medium-term psychiatric care. That's very funny. Poor Doc Magnus. Uh, Ido Bosnar says, I agree that the Metal Men are a great team. I love it when they appear in a team-up book, but I also love their solo outings. And I'm extremely fond of their all-too-brief late 70s revival with stories drawn by Walt Simonson and then Joe Staten. Um, just one correction. DCCP wasn't the first time Superman was in a team-up book. For a brief period, 1971-72, the format of World's Finest was changed so that Superman teamed up with other DCU characters. However, most fans can be forgiven for overlooking this because it only lasted for 13 issues, uh, which is to say 198 to 210. And the guest in two of those was Batman, so the usual of course. World's Finest. And another one was a giant reprint issue. So yeah, I keep forgetting that World's Finest was for a time... Yeah. A team-up book, yeah. uh, you know, not just a partner book, Well, which I never counted as a, you know, Superman and Batman, they're just partners. Yeah, yeah. So I did, never considered that a team-up book. Well, it, it was, it, it's been like that for so long. I mean, 13 issues it isn't that much. So you're, you're forgiven. Thank you. Uh, Bucky749 says, Metalman and Digimon, that's his team-up, when a strange beam of data hits Doc Magnus's lab. It results in a group of strange eggs being found by young alternate version of Magnus. I mean, Digimon, that's that's a that's a nice twist on it there. The eggs hatch and two heroes get digivised. Uh, <laughs> the one from season two of the anime. If you didn't watch it, you should you should check it out. It's fun. End up opening a Digigate to the regular DC universe and meet their counterparts. And yes, we will have the classic hero dial as well. So, you know, a 
Craig classic hero dial. I liked it. So that's a great, uh, great option for a team up there. Yeah. He mentions like Robbie Reed would be in this. And yeah, that's, yeah. like The best friend last episode, not with you, but with uh, Ryan, <laughs> we read in the mail that Bucky was proposing a team up with the Power Rangers. This feels the same to me in that I have no idea what he's talking about. I mean, Power Rangers have their own book. I mean, they fought the Justice League. I'm not saying that the Power Rangers are not a thing that people know about, just like Digimon. I'm just saying, <laughs> uh, I guess that sounds good. Ange says, I bought this one off the racks and I just love it. There is too much to love. The tennis match is silly. The beach scene with the normies. Camo stuffed inside the cannon. Uh, only the tip of his head visible. Platinum crushing on Superman. But it's the math scene that uh, is burned into my mind. Superman, uh, super speed erasing, chalk drawn, complicated math is in my mind. I just, just love it. <laughs> uh, and then Captain Entropy uh, just basically repeats what Ange said, especially about the math scene. Also, great episode and great job bringing this middle-aged man joy, gentlemen. Thank you. Oh, wow. That's my goal. Isamu Yukinori says, fun discussion, gentlemen. Though I am surprised no one asked the question of how the Harry Heck Superman had exited the plane through the lavatory. No doubt rescue crews were prying open the onboard septic system tank, thinking that Clark accidentally flushed himself during the fight. During the flight. Yeah, it's... It's, um... it's funny. It's funny because, yeah, where did Clark go? Everybody sees Superman, but where did Clark go? Probably flushed himself down. Martin Gray says, uh, as a 14-year-old buying this book, I loved it. And still do. It stands up as a fun story for all time, not just the Bronze Age. Unlike the post-crisis revamp, this isn't a story to be wiped from the canon. It's pure classic Metal Men. Speaking of that dodgy Metal Men mini-series of the early 90s, let's not call it the Dan Jurgens book. Uh, he was only penciling it, but Mike Carlin wrote the thing. Yeah, all right. So the Mike Carlin or the 90s metal men. So next up is Chris Pine. He says, uh, so Kemo's power is that he spits on people. That's awful. It is. <laughs> that made me laugh. But he did enjoy our discussion about the metal men. Uh, to be fair, he says, I didn't really like them when I was younger, but now I feel like they're late. 50s, early 60s vibe would work wonderfully in a story set in 2023. That kind of upbeat and out-of-time naivete clashing with a more modern setting and contemporary attitudes could probably produce some hilarious fish-out-of-water kind of stories. I, I agree. Same here. We've come to the end of the mailbag, so thanks for teaming up with me, Bass. Let me reveal that the next time we speak, we'll be covering DC Comics Presents number 6, Superman and Green Lantern. And, and hey, that's my oldest print issue of DC Comics Presents. Really? You have that comic? I don't know how I got it, an old box or something. But yeah, I do have that issue. That's the earliest issue I, I have. Oh my lord, that's awesome. That's awesome. I Is can't it? wait to... Uh, well, yeah, I love old comics. All right, a reminder that we do have a Patreon. So if you like this content, want more like it, please think about making a monthly or one-time donation, the amount of which will allow you to unlock rewards. Check it out at patreon.com slash fwpodcasts. This month, we're proud to team up with our sponsor, Alan W. Wright, The Bold Outlaw. And uh, we also enjoy reading your thoughts. The best place for that is fireandwaterpodcast.com. We'll read your comments on this issue when Bass is back with us. But next month, the cycle begins anew, and I'll be here with Shag as we continue his coverage of Marvel Team-Up with issue 144. So on that, see you next time for another amazing superhero team-up, because after all, justice is a team effort. Never!
underestimate the power of teamwork, my friend. 